Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, Amen. let's listen to this week's message. Well, amen. How are we doing this morning, church? We doing all right? Man, you guys are still asleep this morning. I hope the Fred Campus is doing better than Niwot here this morning. Uh, but Fred Campus, it is good to have you with us. Good to have everybody online. And I'm, I'm pumped, man. It's a new year. I'm just really excited about it. I don't know about you. I, I don't know if I want to push rewind or repeat on 2022. Uh, so I don't know if some of you are feeling me or not, or I'm just ready for a new opportunity for a new year to see some new things happen. And when you think about like New Year's, I don't know about you, but I'm always just in this spot of like new year, new opportunity, new changes, kind of new year, new you a little bit, right? A little bit of that going on. But uh, I, I think most of us, we come into a new year and we're like, hey, there's, this is an opportunity. Like close the book on last year, start a new chapter for this year. There's opportunity for some change. And for you, what kind of change are you thinking about this year? Like, like, what is it? Like, what would you look at in 2022 and say, man, if, if this would be different, if this would be different, I think my life would actually be more enjoyable, more joyful, more meaningful if this one or two or three things would change. I, I don't know what it is for you. I've got a few things for me. We're going to talk about those over the next five weeks in this series that we're starting as gr called Grit. But I saw um, earlier last semester, I saw this quote, and it was really interesting. It was, it was about change, and it was actually an Alcoholics Anonymous quote. It's one of their mantras that they say at every meeting and just talk constantly about, and it kind of caught my attention. It's about change, and here it is. It's, it's the idea that if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Like, there's nothing about that quote right there. If nothing changes, nothing changes. There is nothing, like, mind-blowing. It is so simple. I mean, that's, like, such obvious truth that when you look at that, it's so obvious. Like, wow, that's actually really good. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. You think about it, the areas of change that you want in your life. It may be a physical change. It may be some per area of personal development. It might be a spiritual change. It might be something financially or what. If you don't make a change in that area then nothing's really going to change. And I think the issue for most of us is like, we want change. Like, I don't know about, if you're like me, I want change in my life, but there are moments where you have to confront the reality in your own life where you have to ask the question, am I really willing to do what it requires to experience change? Like, think about it for a second. A lot of us are like, man, it's new year, new me, here we go. I'm going to eat right until... You drive past crumble cookie and it's like the force just pulls you toward crumble cookie, right? I mean, that's the thing. We just, we all have this desire to change until it comes to doing what change actually requires. Everybody says, man, I'm gonna get a new membership of the gym. You know how many memberships are bought in January that nobody actually uses because the alarm goes off at five in the morning. You're like, the last thing I wanna do is go to the gym, but I wanna get in shape, but I don't wanna go to the gym, right? We want to get really serious about it. There's a lot of marital issues. There's a lot of relational issues that we say, man, I want something different until it comes time to go to counseling. And the counseling tells you it's not actually her. It's not actually him. It's like both of you. And you start having to confront reality and you start having to look at your blind spots and it gets really sticky. And they ask you to do some things that are really hard. Everybody wants change and comes until it comes to doing what change actually requires in spiritually. 
Everybody says, I want a deeper faith until it comes to getting up on Sunday morning, your day off. Until it comes to hitting the alarm 15 to 20, 30 minutes earlier to say, hey, I'm going to spend some time and I'm going to reflect and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to pray and I'm going to start my day off with God. Everybody wants change until it comes to doing what change actually requires. See, what we want is we want change, but we want it through the path of least resistance. Like, think about it. You want the pill. I mean, how many advertisements have you seen out there that you're going to lose 64 pounds in 32 days if you'll just take this? Man, newsflash, none of that's true, right? None of that's true. Those people who lost 63 pounds in however many days, they also starved themselves for 32 days, right? They also went to the gym for 90 minutes a day. They also did this. They also did that. I don't know what it is for you, but what is it? It was funny, the other day I was, I was watching on late night TV. If you watch late night TV, there are advertisements for this stuff all over the place. I was watching late night TV and this deal comes on and it's the ab stimulator. Has, has anybody seen the ab stimulator? Some of you are like, no, never bought the ab stimulator. The ab stimulator, no joke, this thing was on late night TV for $29.99. That should be a clue. That this doesn't work, right? $29.99. It is shaped like six-pack abs. You like paste it to your belly and you sit there and you turn on the electrical stimulator and it contracts your abs and you get an ab workout without doing an ab workout. And they're saying, dude, if you will do this for this many weeks, you're going to get six-pack abs. Now, the problem with this thing is, is I watch this deal and I'm seeing the models they use for this. You ever notice this? Like the guys are standing there, they got the thing on and they're standing there flexing like this and their shoulders are like massive. Like their pecs are big enough, they need bras. I mean, these guys are huge. I mean, every muscle in their body, you're like, dude, to do that, you're gonna need an ab stimulator for every muscle on your body, right? And some of us, we buy into it. And we buy it for $29.99 and we try it and we realize the truth is this, that if you want change, effort is required. Like it doesn't matter what kind of change you want in your life, if it's financial, if it's relational, if it's spiritual, if it's physical, whatever it is, extra effort is required. Now it's interesting, there's a book called Grit. It's obviously in the name of our series that we're starting, but it's written by Angela Duckworth. And Angela Duckworth talks about this idea of change and he talks about, she talks about this idea of what it takes to actually experience change. It's interesting, she studied thousands and thousands of students. I'm talking elementary school kids, middle school kids, high school kids, and she's tracked them all the way through their educational career into their vocational career, and she defines one common trait. One common trait. She says, you know, there's luck that happens in success. Like there's, there's you know, certain situations, there's IQ that's a big deal in success, but she says, when it really comes down to watching these kids and seeing what they were actually willing to do to make changes to be successful later on in life, there's one thing they have in common. You know what that one thing is? It's grit. She calls it grit, and she says grit is this. It is the passion and perseverance for long-term goals. And then she goes on to say this about grit. I love this. She says one way to think about grit is to consider what it isn't. Grit isn't talent. Grit isn't luck. Grit isn't how intensely for the moment that you want something. Instead, grit is about having what some researchers call an ultimate concern. 
A goal you care about so much that it organizes and gives meaning to almost everything you do. And grit is holding steadfast to that goal. Even when you fall down, even when you screw up, even when, you pr- when progress toward that goal is halting or slow. And then she says this, talent and luck matter to success. But talent and luck are no guarantee of grit. And in the very long run, I think grit may matter at least as much, if not more. See, what Angela Duckworth is saying is that there's no handouts when it comes to success. And there's no handouts, there's no pills, there's no quick fix, there's no shortcuts to change. If you want to make change relationally, if you want to make change in getting healthy, if you want to make change in losing weight or fixing your finances, your marriage, or whatever it is, extra effort is required. And so question, what area of your life this year in 2023 do you want to see some change? And what area of your life that is, is it going to take some grit to actually push through and make some commitments and keep those commitments for the long haul for a bigger reason. It might be health because you want to you see your grandkids grow up. You want to show up to some weddings and be there and walk your kids down the aisle. You want to retire well with your spouse. You want to do something beyond just the job that you're doing right now. You want to make a difference. What kind of change needs to happen in your life where you look back years down the road and say, that was the moment to change the direction for everything. See, I think every single one of us has something in our life where we say, I need some change. So here's what we're gonna do. We wanna help. And so what we're gonna do over the next five weeks is we're gonna track with an Old Testament book, the book of Nehemiah. I'm telling you guys, you're gonna love this book. Like it is my favorite Old Testament book. There's some awesome books in the Old Testament. There are history books that share all kinds of things about God's people. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, I'm telling you, it is a, it is a history book of how God uses Nehemiah to make some major changes in the nation of Israel. I mean, it is a gritty book. It's a grit story. And I think it's actually a roadmap for change. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to track with it for the next five weeks and we're going to get in our faces a little bit. And we're going to talk about what kind of change do you know needs to be made. And you've just been living with kind of life as usual, that if you would make that change, you would look back at the end of 2023 or even look back in the next two or three months and say, wow, look at the progress that has been made. So I want you to get to Nehemiah. Okay, so if you've got your phones, here's what you do. Just go to the table of contents. You're going to see it in the Old Testament, and you're going to see it in the first half 50% of your Bible. Okay, just a little bit less than that. All right, if you've got your Bible, open it up. Go about a third of the way through, a little bit more. You're going to find Ezra. Then you're going to find Nehemiah. It's a history book, as I said. It's the history of what God does through a guy named Nehemiah to reestablish the political and religious stature of the Israelites because they've been in captivity at this point for 70 years in Babylon. Like captivity, like what happened there? We're talking exile to Babylon. So here's what happens. God had promised his people. He starts with Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Israelite nation and he promises him, he says, I'm gonna lead your people out of this area where, they, where you are. I'm gonna make them multiply like crazy and someday I'm gonna give them a land of their own. We all know the story. Prince of Egypt, right? They go to Egypt. They, they live there. They become the slaves to Pharaoh. Well, God uses Moses to bring the people out. Moses brings them out. Joshua takes them in. 
So what Joshua does years after Moses, he takes them into this place called Canaan, or it's referred to in scripture as the promised land. So you're like, why is it called the promised land? Well, you go all the way back to Abraham. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give your people a place. He promised Abraham a land for his people. So Canaan was that land. So Joshua leads them in. They conquer Canaan. He gives them the land. God fulfills his end of the bargain. The people don't fulfill their end. So here's what happens. They get into Canaan. They settle down. They get complacent. And they start worshiping the gods of the surrounding people around them. God said, if you follow me, if you worship me only, you put me first, here's the deal. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Well, they didn't. And so God did what you do. If you've got kids, he disciplined his kids to get their attention. So he brings Nebuchadnezzar in, the king of Babylon. The guy comes in, he walks into Jerusalem, and he wipes the place out. He pulls down the walls. He burns down the temple. He knocks the temple walls down. I mean, he even pushes the temple walls off the side of the mountain. There is nothing there. And then he carts hundreds of thousands of people off to Babylon to live. So they're exiled in Babylon. Some go there, some stay back and live in ruin. He exiles them to Babylon for 70 years, but there's hope. Because God always said, hey, if you turn your hearts back to me, said it through the prophets, if you turn your hearts back to me, I will turn my heart to you and I will return you to your land. So the book of Nehemiah is this. It's actually the, the second of two books Ezra and Nehemiah, they were always read together in in Jewish history, and they recount the fulfillment of the prophecy for God to return his people to Israel, specifically Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, all of that. And so Ezra starts off, and it recounts three different, like, returns. So Ezra and Nehemiah, they recount three different returns through three different guys. So first guy is Zerubbabel. If there are any new parents in the room, I'm just telling you, if you need names for your kids, it's coming back just so you know, Zerubbabel, all right? So Zerubbabel, he goes back to Jerusalem. He takes a group of people back, and here's what he does. He rebuilds the temple. That was the most important thing to them. It's where God's presence dwelled. So he goes back, he rebuilds the temple, and everybody's all excited because they're like, if we rebuild the temple, God's presence will come back. And so Zerubbabel is a hero. That's a big deal. But what's interesting is they had nobody to reestablish the temple. There was no priest, so Ezra's a priest, So years later, they send Ezra back, okay? And Ezra goes back, and the king of Babylon at the time, he lets him go back. He goes back, and he reestablishes the sacrificial system and all the structure of the temple. And they're like, if we start worshiping God again, his presence will come back. Well, then what they do is, like, the people start attacking Jerusalem from around because they know who the God of the Israelites are. And they're like, if they bring him back... There's plagues and all kinds of stuff. We're toast. So they start attacking the city. And so then they send Nehemiah back. And Nehemiah goes back and he fortifies the walls. He rebuilds the walls and he resets the structure and the government of the city. And everybody's like, God's coming back. Like if we make these changes, these physical changes, if we make these leadership changes, if we make these changes, God's going to come back. And so these guys are heroes. Like, they're not Moses-type heroes, because Moses did all these miraculous things, like parting of the Red Sea and the Ten Plagues. These guys just rebuild stuff. But they're heroes nonetheless. So, pick up chapter 1. Here's what we have Nehemiah. Just give you a little picture of him real quick. Nehemiah says in chapter 1, verse 1, he was a cupbearer to the king. All right, so cupbearer to the king. I think we all get into the picture of our minds who that is. In ancient times, here's how kings came to power. 
They would walk in, they would figure out a scheme, they would assassinate the current king. Okay, that's what happened like 90% of the time. They would assume power. What the cupbearer's job was, because people were always trying to assassinate the king, is he was the taste tester. Like, how would you like that job? Everybody's trying to assassinate the king, and you got to taste the wine and the brownies, right? You got to taste them and make sure that you're, you know, the king's not going to kill over dead. So you would think, you would look at the idea of a person who's the cupbearer and be like, well, that's kind of an expendable person. Not a really important person. They drink some bad wine, eat some bad brownies, no big deal, they die. Just get a new one, right? Wrong. Wrong. See, we feel that as our 20, 21st century perspective, you go back to Nehemiah's day, guys, understand this. The cupbearer was one of the most important people of the king. He was with the king all the time. He was one of his most trusted advisors. The interesting thing about the cupbearer is if you check out the actual position, the leadership position, how high that position was, let me just give you an example. This was somewhere between chief of staff, okay, chief of staff and director of security for the king. So just get in your minds, understand, like Nehemiah is not an expendable here. Like Nehemiah is a legit leader. We're talking about a guy who is a legit leader for the king. So here's what happens. Starting verse two, this starts our roadmap to change right here. It says, Hanani, Hanani was one of Nehemiah's brothers. One of my brothers came from Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. Came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. So some people were left. And then some were sent back. Hannah and I was probably sent back with Ezra. They were rebuilding the temple, re- getting things set up. He said, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down as gates have been burned by fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Like understand, this is not what Nehemiah thought he would heard. We sent Zerubbabel back. We rebuilt the temple. We sent Ezra back like to reestablish the sacrificial system. Has God come back? Hananiah, what's going on? Give me the good news. And Hananiah is like, Nehemiah is bad. Like, it is really bad. Like, nothing's going the way it's supposed to go. Jerusalem, it is in a bad, bad spot. And Nehemiah is disappointed. He's so disappointed that it says he fasts and mourns for days. Trent Shelton is a guy that I've mentioned before. He's a former college football player, played for the University of Baylor. And then he's also uh, was an NFL player. His NFL career did not pan out, but his social media career has. Like he has 12 million followers that follow his pad- podcast. Um, he's got a podcast called Straight Up. It's really good. It's really super motivational. And in his last podcast of the year, I was listening to it and he said something that caught my attention. I was like, that is exactly how Nehemiah feels. And I'll be honest, there's a couple areas of my life that's exactly how I feel. And when you step back into this idea of change, this right here, what I'm going to say right here that Trent Shelton shares, it's the first key to change. Like if you want a roadmap to change, here's where you start. Trent Sheldon says this, if you want to move up, you got to be fed up. I love that. He's saying if you want change in your life, there's got to be something, someplace in your life that you got to get so fed up with 
that you guys so, get so fed up, not just disappointed with, you get so fed up with it, you said, I've had enough. I'm not taking any more. It ends right now. I've had enough. And guys, Nehemiah was fed up. Like if you step back into this whole picture, yes, he's made it to a place with the king. But what's interesting about Nehemiah is Nehemiah's in this high place. He's this Jewish person that's risen to a high place. But if you understand the history and the story, Hananiah had gone back to Jerusalem and seen it. Nehemiah's never been to Jerusalem. The amount of years that this happens, the age that Nehemiah is, Nehemiah was born in captivity. He was born in the exile. He's never been to Jerusalem, but man, Israel was a proud people. And he's heard his parents say, he's heard the elders say, he's heard all kinds of people share just how great Israel was about their temple and the presence of their God and stories like the 10 plagues in Egypt and parting of the Red Sea and the walls coming down in Jericho and all these miracles. Even if you're not familiar with, you just imagine all these miracles that God's done and Nehemiah has heard about. And so when Hananiah shows up and it's opposite of what Nehemiah hoped, man, he's disappointed. But what's interesting is there's a lot of people in life that are disappointed with things that never do anything about those things. Because there's a lot of people that live with a disappointing relationship but don't do anything about that relationship to make it better. There's a lot of people that go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, you gotta change this or this is gonna happen and they take a change for like a month and they go back to eating the same things and doing the same things and not exercising because it's hard. And Nehemiah gets to this point, and I said Nehemiah was disappointed. To say Nehemiah was disappointed is like an understatement. Nehemiah is not just disappointed. He's what Trent Shelton says, he was fed up. Like Nehemiah was fed up with hearing the stories of all the greatness of, of God and all the goodness of what he'd done for his people and all the greatness of Israel and the temple and God's presence and miracles, and then to look and say, we're slaves. And we're at the beck and call of Nebuchadnezzar. And we've got to do this, and we've got to do this. And man, the national disgrace that we have, and the sin of my people, and the silence of God. And Nehemiah got to a point where he said, I am fed up, and I'm fed up enough to where I'm saying, that's it. I've had enough, no more. And we're going to see what Nehemiah does. My question to you would be is, what are you fed up with? Like when reality really comes down, you think about your marriage or your relationships or your family or your health or your finances or your leadership or, or whatever it might be, your job, whatever situation you're in, what are you fed up with? Now, here's another question. Man, here's a question that's a little harder. Like some of you, it's going to prick some, your heart a little bit here. Here's the question is what are you fed up with that you've been willing to live with for far too long? See, because some of us, we're just disappointed. We're disappointed in those things, and we're just like, why is this never changing? And what the real problem is, is we have not been willing to have the grit to lean in, to say, I've had enough. Like, I've had enough of me doing this, or me being in this situation, or experiencing these results for so long. I've had enough, and I'm fed up enough to do something about it. What are you fed up with? And are you fed up enough 
that you're willing to say it stops here. You see, the first key to change is this. If you want to move up, you got to get fed up. Then the second key is this. Look at what Nehemiah does. It starts in verse 5, and he says, then I said. So he's, he hears what's going on, and he is like disappointed, fed up. I've had enough of this whole thing. And so he goes to God, and here's what he does. It says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, which the people had not. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Here it is. I confess. I confess the sins of the Israelites, including myself, including my father's family. We have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. What's really interesting about this passage to me is before Nehemiah takes any action, and guys, he's going to take some action. Like Nehemiah is going to do some stuff that is going to blow your mind. But before he takes any action, what Nehemiah does is he names the problem. He's like, before I go do anything about this, what I've got to do is I've got to acknowledge reality. Like, I've got to look at what's going on in my life, what's going on in our nation's life, what's going on in our people. And I've just got to acknowledge before God, I just got to name it and confess reality and admit where I am. You see, one of the best things that we could actually do, like one of the, the biggest key to change, the second key to change, you get fed up. What you finally got to do when you get fed up is you got to confess reality. Like I'll say it again, you got to confess reality. There's got to be a point in your life where you just name it. We say, you know what? I'm in too much debt. And it's keeping me from this. You know, my relationship, if if I'm really just going to get honest, my relationship is not being what it should be. It's not as deep or as connected or as warm as it should be because I'm doing this. Not they're doing that, but I'm doing this. I don't communicate well. I'm gone too much. I travel too much. I'm not showing enough warmth. I'm not dating my wife. Whatever it may be, at one, some point in your life, you got to acknowledge reality. I'm in this kind of shape because I don't go to the gym. What is that thing for you that you just got to step back and you got to do what Nehemiah did? Because I love what Nehemiah did. He said, I can see the vision of what could and should be for God's people, what God always dreamed for. I can see the vision of that, but I can also see what's getting in the way of that becoming a reality. And guys, sometimes in our life, what we just got to do is if we want something different, because if nothing changes, nothing changes. If we want something different, we've got to get so fed up that we are willing to name an opportunity for growth. We're willing to name a problem in our life as an opportunity for growth. Whether it's financially, whether it's relationally, whether it's health-wise, whether it's spiritually. And just confess reality and say, this is the reality of what could and should be in my life. And this right here is a roadblock that's keeping me from it. What is it? What are you disappointed with that you've been living with way too long? What do you need to get fed up with where you say, that's enough? And then where do you just need to acknowledge reality and say, this is it. And it stops now. It stops now. And then you admit that to somebody, you say it to somebody, and you're like, here's the thing that I've had enough of. I'll be 
I'll be honest with you. You got to confess reality. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be real with you and I'll confess one thing. Okay, I'll confess reality. Has to do with my home. Okay, the reality would be this. I've talked about communication before. I've talked about some marital issues before. My wife and I, we have grown so much. We're doing great. Went through a lot of counseling to get there. But one of the things that this year, I, had, I look back at last year, I'm just like, I've had enough of this. Like, you ever get to that point where you've had enough of the reminders? And the reminders come from all over the place, right? Like, it might be your supervisor at work. It might be your spouse. It might be your mirror, <laughs> right? It, it might be your credit card statement. You're just sick of the reminders. Here's the deal. One of the things that I've been sick of being reminded of, and I'm not saying it's my family. I'm saying it just, I run into this, is communication sometimes at home. Like, guys, you get this. Uh, ladies, you get this. Sometimes you, you're, you're away, and I'm at work. I... You may not know this, but I communicate for a living. Like, like you, you know this, right? I communicate for a living. Okay, I, I stand up here and I talk for a living, okay? And then I go back and a lot of my leadership stuff is, it, it's talk, I share and talk and listen and it's, it's communication. But there are times where I get home and I am so exhausted and so done that my communication skills that maybe at work might be here, they just go here. And I'll be honest, there's some times where my wife looks at me and said, could you give me a little heads up that we were doing that? Oh yeah, you're right. Like just not sharing, like here's what's coming and here's what's happening. The other thing that I've struggled with, and I've shared this before, is I struggle as most guys do with sharing feelings and heart emotions to give my wife anything to connect with, right? And she's like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Good. How do you connect with good? Right, you gotta share an emotion to say, well, I'm actually feeling this, man. I am exhausted, worn out, and I know I've been just hissy around the house and this, but I'm just, I'm worn out, I'm stressed out. Man, that just draws people in. I've been working on that side of communication, but the other thing that I have a tendency to do is it's like, we're having a conversation, we'll be in the middle of talking about something, and my mind goes over here, and it's like, Birdie goes here, and I start talking about over here, and my wife is still stuck in this conversation right here, and I'm like, but you know what, he said this over here, and she's like, who said what? I'm like, well, obviously, this, that's a totally different conversation. And I'll just be honest with you, that may sound like a, like a little thing, but to me, I'm frustrated with the reminders of that I struggle with that, and it struggles, that struggle with not being clear, not being connected, and not being an emotional person with communication, it creates a disconnect that I've been dropping the ball on for years. So I'm naming it and I'm saying this, that in 2023, what I want to do, one of the goals that I've got, one of the personal development goals that I've got is to become a clear and connected communicator in my house. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm fed up with it. And my wife might be too. And if we would make that change, man, what would happen there? And guys, what is it for you? Ladies, what is it for you? Physically, relationally, spiritually, leadership stuff. What is it where you're like, I got to get fed up and I got to name it. Why don't you name it? Man, you want to get really gritty this week? You find somebody you trust and you share that personal thing with them and say, I want to be accountable. Would you help me be accountable to this? If I can do that with thousands of people today, you can do it with one or two. You get fed up. You confess reality, and then notice the next thing that Nehemiah does, and it's probably the most important thing. Nehemiah comes back, and he dives in in verse 8, 
And he's already called himself out. Understand this. He called his people out. He called himself out. He called his family out. He admits all the sin. But notice what he does here. He calls God out. Like, this is awesome. Like, Nehemiah's praying. He's like, hey, let me confess this. But then he's like, okay, God, I'm pointing the finger at you. And here's what he says. In verse 8, he says, remember. Like, God, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying... If you are unfaithful, people, if you are unfaithful, which they were, I will scatter you among the nations, which he did. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants, he says, and your people whom you've re- you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name, those who are out there, the remnants that's left. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Who's this man? It's the king. Understand, before Nehemiah goes and acts and does anything in Jerusalem, here's what he does. Before he goes and rebuilds a wall, which he's going to do in 52 days, guys, 52 days. It's an amazing feat. Before he does any of that, do you know what he does? Like, before we get there for a second, there's 11 times in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah faces opposition and problem and difficulty, something that's got to change. He's like, this has to change. And you know what he does every single time, all 11 times? He starts with what? By praying and asking for God's help. Before he does anything, here's what he does. He gets real with God, he confesses the sin, and he's like, God, this needs to change. Here's what's in the way of everything that's going on in Israel's life, and would you help? You see, you start off 2023, and the best thing you could do The best thing you can do, you get that one thing in your mind, like I'm fed up with this thing. A lot of us, we get fed up with something and it's not actually. Like sometimes we we want the easy way out, but there's some of us have actually like, we've put in the work required for change, but we're like, it's not happening. That relationship's not changing or this is, man, here's what you do. You partner that thing with God. You get serious. You say, I'm fed up, but God, I can't do it myself. And you ask for God's help. And some of you are like, man, Sean, my thing's big. Here's what I guarantee. It's not bigger than what Nehemiah asked. Nehemiah is going to walk into a king who cares nothing about Jerusalem. He took people out of Jerusalem. He burned it to the ground. And he's going to ask that king who is one of his buddies, He's going to ask that king if the king will send a whole bunch of people back with him to rebuild the walls, restructure the government, like the local government in Jerusalem, a place this guy burned down, and then he's going to ask the king to pay for it. Then he's going to go 900 miles. It's going to take three months to get there. He's going to talk a bunch of people in to like working with him and rebuilding his walls that have never met Nehemiah. Nehemiah's never been to Jerusalem. And then he's gonna rebuild the walls in 52 days. You sit there and say, my thing's too big. It ain't bigger than that. And the defining factor is when you get serious and you get fed up and you name it, but then you take it to God and you say, God, would you help? What happens when you put first things first? and you get God in the middle of your issues, what we believe around this place is that everything else begins to start to work out. Can I step back for just a moment? 
We said this, if nothing changes, nothing changes. It's true. But the reality of what God can do in your life, no matter how big the thing is, like Nehemiah's, or no matter how small the thing is, you're like, God doesn't care about that. God cares about even the intimate, small, little details of your life, and he wants to help. And when you involve him in that process and you begin to say, man, I'm going to make this change this year, but you put him first, what happens is exponential change begins to happen in other areas of your life. It's like a cascading thing that just falls down to other areas of your life. If nothing changes, nothing changes. And we think there ought to be some change made this year. So here's what I'll encourage you with. Like, you're not on your own on this. Like, I want to give you one thing that we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to use this series. We want to help. We're going to use this series as a catalyst for change. And we want to do something together as a church. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next five weeks, we're going to go through the book of Nehemiah, but we're also going to do something else. We're going to name some areas of our life and name some changes that we want to make. And so in this grit series, over the next two weeks, what you're going to do is you're going to think about those areas. Like today, we're just creating the tension. You need change. You need to name something. You need to get fed up. You need to ask God's help for that thing. What is it? But then what we're going to do on week three is we're going to dive in and we're going to say, okay, for the next 52 days, what we're going to do is we're going to choose three actions in three different areas, one action in three different areas of our life. So a physical action, because I think we all need physical change. There's something we need. a spiritual change. One action that's going to help us make some spiritual change, move our hearts closer to God. And then one personal development area. And then we're going to give you a way to track this. It's not going to happen until week three. So invite somebody. They need it. But we're going to give you a way to track it for 52 days. And we're going to mark it off. We've even got a reward at the end. If you get all the way done with all 52 days, it's going to be so much fun. And I guarantee you what's going to happen is if you do this and you do 52 days, it's going to create a habit in these three areas, three different habits that you're going to want to keep going because you like the progress. And if we do that together, I think there could be some incredible things that could happen. So you've got to be here the next five weeks. You can't miss. You just got to be here and you need to get somebody here with you. But here's the thing that's interesting for me is when I step back into the book of Nehemiah and I think about those three changes, they're going to be good for you. You need this. But let me be frank with you about what you really need. Some of you are like, I need some physical change. Some of you are like, yeah, that leadership thing, I need some relationship and leadership change. Can I tell you what you really need? The best thing you could change this year in 2023 as we start is your heart connected with God. A spiritual change because you go back to the book of Nehemiah and their hopes were like, if we make a physical change and rebuild the temple, God's presence will come back. And he didn't. And then they said, if we, if we make kind of a, a development change, if we, if we just kind of reinstitute the sacrifices and worship in the temple and, and we just sacrifice each day, you know, lambs every day for people's sin and just keep coming back to the temple, maybe his presence will come back. And it didn't. And then they were like, you know what? If we rebuild the walls and reestablish the national pride, reestablish Jerusalem as the capital, God's presence will come back and he'll restore Israel to national prominence. And he didn't because God had a different plan. He didn't want a physical change. He didn't want personal development change. And 
What he wanted was a spiritual change. Now, understand, just because God didn't want a spiritual change didn't mean that he didn't say, let's rebuild the walls and do some other. You need some change in your life. But the thing you really need is you need spiritual change. Like God stepped back and he said, my spirit's not coming back until Jesus comes. And when Jesus came, it was the first time that God's spirit came back with him and miracles happened. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the disciples, I'm leaving my Holy Spirit so he can be in each and every one of you, not just walking around where Jesus was, but that every person who accepts Christ as their savior and makes a spiritual change, that God's spirit would partner with them, would love them, guide them, and begin to transform them. What you need this year more than anything is a spiritual change. So let's make it together. If nothing changes, nothing changes. You keep doing what you're doing, you're gonna keep getting what you're getting. You want change. You gotta make it. You gotta choose it. You gotta have the grit to push through it. So how about for the next 52 or maybe like from here, like 75 days where we could make a change together. Can you imagine what that would do if all of us did that for our church, for our community, for your families? Man, it could be awesome. So I'm gonna pray for you right now. And we're gonna get out of this place, but here's what I want you to do is I want you to be back with your butts in the seat next week. If you're online, you be online next week and you invite somebody because the change, like the choices don't start till three, two weeks from now. It's an opportunity to invite somebody on this journey with you to make some change. Let's pray. Father God, this place, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for all the people at both of our campuses. I'm grateful for the, all the people online, for the people that are watching during the week, all of those people. And Father, I know that you want to make something happen in our lives over the next couple months. And God, I pray it would be a miracle. I pray it'd be a catalyst for our church. I pray it'd be a catalyst for families. It'd be a catalyst for individuals. Heart change. So God, we bring that to you. We just open-handed. We give some things to you. Father, put them in our minds. Create that tension where we're like, I got to change this. And Father, help us to have the grit to push through, to do 52 days that might lead to however many months or years or decades of change that become the vision of what you've got for our life. And so Father, humble us and lift us up in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.